0: I had two unexpected conversations this past week, they were not on my calendar, they each ended up being about an hour long, Uh, involved a cup of coffee. The first was with a U.S. Marine, who was also a businessman, and the second was with an artist. Uh, Neither are members of this church, but both would self-describe as Christian. And in the course of the conversation, I asked each of them their opinion on the state of the world. How do you think things are going? (laughs) Well, what impressed me was not that they said the state of the world is bad. Uh, Obviously, that is so. But what impressed me was that each, uh, again, from very different backgrounds, very different perspectives, used spiritual language to speak of how bad things are. These are dark times. The evil one is having a field day with us. Each, each of them said that, two different conversations, and I think they are correct. You don't need me this morning to enumerate all the reasons why that may be so, but to hear the gospel, I think it is necessary to know our reality into which the gospel arrives. And it seems to me, I think these are safe things to say, but you never know these days. It seems to me that our days are marked by the politicization of everything, the resolution to nothing, which leads to a culture of fear, anger, and despair. And those are not Christian virtues. Those are not fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I also venture further to say that I wonder if this season in our cultural life is unveiling what was already there, frankly. And that is the things in which we have put our trust, our expectations, our dreams, our hard work, our ideologies go down the list. All of the things in which we have put our trust are proving now not to have enough substance or coherence to get us through this kind of crisis. I realize that may sound extremely negative, and that's not my nature. I don't enjoy talking like this. But so, the reason I'm beginning these remarks, this sermon, in this way is because I want to highlight that by pressing upon us the question, therefore, what do you perceive God is doing right now in the midst of all of that? What do you perceive God is doing? In the midst of all of that, I cannot imagine a more hopeful, encouraging, or beautiful passage of Scripture in the entire Bible that might help us be grounded asking that question than what you just heard from Paul's letter to the Romans, the eighth chapter. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is about to be revealed to us. Do you perceive that glory is about to be revealed to us? Not sure that we do. What is Paul getting at? What could he possibly mean? Paul's letter to the Romans, look, I get it, I know it. It is the longest, the densest, the most theologically challenging of all of his letters and all of his letters can be challenging but I want to suggest to you that the best thing that you could do for yourself a gift to yourself in this coming week would be to read every single day Romans chapter 8 at least from verse 12 to the end of the chapter it is beautiful it is powerful again it is so hopeful and here Paul is situating what he says within the unavoidable reality that Christians, Christians suffer in the world all the stresses and sadnesses, all the sicknesses and sinfulness that everybody else does, except we can experience those realities differently. And the reason is because of the cross of Jesus. And this is a major stress point not only in today's reading from Romans 8, but again and again in Paul's correspondences. The cross is not simply some historical event from the past, The cross is not simply an intellectual, theological doctrine of the church. Rather, Paul teaches again and again that the cross is the pattern of the Christian life. It is the way faithful living is shaped in the way of the cross. To bear suffering, therefore, with hope is to be pulled up onto the cross of Jesus, where with him, God's power, as Paul says in another letter, is made perfect in weakness. The gospel life pattern is that glory, glory emerges from God's ultimate victory over sin and suffering and even death, rather than it emerges from our victory, being successful, avoiding those realities. And y'all, this is, The good news, that's it. That is the gospel right there in a nutshell. And I feel so confident in saying this, that Paul, were he here in this room today, speaking to you out there today, would want us to know that especially in times like this, Christians are given a fresh opportunity to embody in our lives the pattern of the cross. What does that mean? It means realism about the facts of our day, the facts of our fallenness. It means repentance for our participation in that fallenness, in all of this brokenness. And prayerfulness, shaped by faithful trust, that precisely in all of that, precisely even now, God is capable of birthing some new realities. And this is not optimism, that things will get better and better. This is hope that God's kingdom will be seen better in our midst. So in the reading, you heard St. Paul goes on unforgettably, beautifully, beautifully using this imagery of childbirth. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains, and not only creation, not only this fallen world around us, but we ourselves are caught up in this groaning of labor pains. And I think that that gets at it for me this morning. At the heart of life right now, in the year of our Lord 2020, so far, is a deep down groan. Almost with every headline that I see, I groan. Almost with every time in the course of a day that a family member or a friend or somebody around here comes up to me and goes, well, Lee, have you heard, dot, 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 before the sentence is finished, I'm already inwardly groaning for what's coming. Maybe that's your experience as well. But there are different kinds of groans As long as I live, I will never forget sitting most of an entire day with a woman who had just found out that her son had been killed in an accident. And the only sound in that room was a groan sort of emanating from so deep it came up almost like a whisper of hard shock and it was the most important, it was really the only reality in the room, her groaning. There are different kinds of groaning. But I know another woman quite well with whom I have sat for hours on three different occasions hearing the groaning of childbirth. There are different kinds of groaning and our God knows each one. Perhaps you feel like you do too. But in light of Christ, our orientation is always toward the groaning of new birth. Even in a season like this one, where it is true, we see only in part right now. We see as if through a glass darkly. So what do you perceive God is doing right now? Where might God be birthing some new glory for you, for the church, for the world? Y'all have heard me mention so often my ongoing gratitude and love for my mentor, Dr. John Claypool, with whom I worked in Birmingham more than 20 years ago now. John, as you may know, grew up right here in Nashville. He was born in the 1930s, his childhood was in the 30s and in the 40s, and you used to hear him talk about the milieu of Nashville in those decades where he said it was just impossible to see the reality of racial inequality and injustice because it was just so enmeshed in the patterns of living. Didn't occur to him growing up that there was any other way to look at reality. But the scales fell from his eyes uh, during the 1950s, when John met a very influential Christian of that time named Clarence Jordan in Georgia. And John came to see, therefore, that the ways society had been organized, um, segregated living, all the injustices, were not only antithetical to American ideals, but they were utterly antithetical to the gospel itself. By this point, John is, is becoming a Baptist pastor years before he became an Episcopal priest. And he felt called to do what he could to help with the civil rights movement. He got involved in that during his years down there in Georgia and Atlanta. In fact, he was an acquaintance of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And he tells the story, I heard him tell it a number of times, he's also written about it in a book, of being in one particularly dispiriting meeting of civil rights leaders in which African-American pastors in the meeting got so frustrated that they jumped up from the meeting before it was over and stormed out. And John said that he was so discouraged and um, just could not imagine that there was ever going to be any progress, that they were ever going to make any headway. It was just too big, and there was too much set against them. And as it happened, John had befriended an elderly Jewish rabbi. And John said to the Jewish rabbi all of what I've just shared with you, that he was just despairing. Um, The racial situation was um, just centuries old, so deeply enmeshed, just uh, impossible to imagine that we could come out of it and find any solutions. And the way John tells the story is that the rabbi listened to him. John was in his 30s took a big puff of, on his pipe and then blew a big cloud of smoke in John's face and said, young man, let me tell you something. There is only one unforgivable sin for the Jew. It is the sin of despair. Young man, who do you think you are to come in here talking like that Suggesting that God cannot do whatever God chooses to do. The God that we believe in, who brought into being the things that did not, did not exist, and has the power to bring to life things that are dead. Young man, despair is presumptuous. I bet I heard John use that phrase a thousand times. <laughs> it's stuck. Despair is presumptuous. Another crusty Jewish rabbi from a different era, who's also a Christian convert, might tell us exactly the same thing today from his letter to the Romans. Despair is presumptuous. Remember that because you are a Christian. You belong to Christ. You are a person of hope. So Practically speaking, what can this look like for us? I wanna suggest three very quick things. And the first is what I've already encouraged you to do. Wrestle with the question every day and throughout the day, what are you up to, God? Given how I feel, given the challenges that I feel I face and our world faces, God, what are you up to? What is the new thing that you might do? Number two, use the resources of the church to help you ask the question and know what to look for. Beginning here and there in our worship life, the primary place of identity formation and remembering who we are in our story, prayers, your engagement with scriptures, and your engagement of this question with your neighbors, your, your spouse, your family, your friends, literally your neighbor, other people that you're encountering, just like I did this past week, not only what is the state of the world, but what do you think God is doing in the midst of that? And then number three, number three, look as Paul tells us to look with eager expectation. Eager expectation. The Greek here, we're not really getting the translation too well. It has to do with the head. Sort of the, the, the posture or the angle of the head. It means kind of keep your head up and look out. Or it could be translated crane your neck. That should be the posture of a Christian in this day. Not head down. But God think you might be doing something. I'm praying for that. I'm on the lookout. That same woman I mentioned earlier, Susalie, is a bird watcher. And it is not uncommon in the mornings when we do our devotional time together this time of year when it's pleasant out on our back patio. Um, I might walk out with my Bible and my books and a cup of coffee. Susalie's already out there and I might come out and she is standing there doing something like this. So what do you think my instinct is when I see that? She is looking at something. I'm going to look at whatever it is she's looking at. And So I look up there. I don't recognize any of the birds that she does. But I'm looking because she's looking. She's expecting to see something beautiful. And as I see her looking there, my gaze turns there as well. I cannot imagine a more important gift that we Christians could give the world than to be a witness of looking in the right place at a time like this. When the world sees us looking to God, it is very likely, it's certainly possible, that they will turn and develop a posture of looking to God as well. I suppose you could say that I'm claiming an awful lot for this historical moment, and I am. I'm not a historian, but I believe that there are long stretches of human history where not much happens that is not the case today this moment is momentous it is significant what is happening now and will happen in the days and months and perhaps years to come will dramatically affect the course of human history I believe that and lots of people are writing that as well what therefore an opportunity for the gospel Oh my gosh. So I ask us to remember that the gospel is not about the times getting better and better and better. That has always been such a fiction for Christians who've embraced that idea. The gospel is about the kingdom of God in all its glory coming nearer and nearer and nearer. And those who are watching out for it with eager expectation we'll see it coming even in a time like this so we do watch and we pray and we hope God willing we can point others in that direction as well and we remember despair is presumptuous